Cool. Good morning, everyone. All right, great. Um, so I'll, I'll just like to introduce my mom, who's visiting with us. from my mom. I think I was eight. And um, what happened is I didn't want to go to school that day. So I, my mom used to go to work, so I pretended to be sick. Uh, I'm not sure whether everyone fell for it, but they allowed me to stay home. And uh, I stayed. And you know, after like eight o'clock, I was up and about, I was playing. And I don't know how my mom found out that this is what had happened. So she came back from work, and then she, she gave me a good chopper. And then she made me wear my school clothes and, and took me to school. And, you know, we used to start school at like half past seven, and this was like 11, and would end like at half past 12. But uh, she made her point, and I never was sick again from school. <laughs> And uh, so if you see me on my best behavior this morning, you'll know the reason why. Uh, if you have your Bible, uh, please could you turn with me. Uh, today you have to turn with me to Acts 17. Uh, we'll be uh, reading from verse 10. Uh, but um, as we just look in this story of Acts, uh, for those who've been with us for a while, you know that we've been studying the book of Acts, uh, which is the history of how the message of Jesus came from this small little outpost, uh, this dusty Middle Eastern place uh, in the Roman Empire, and became a worldwide movement that even now today in East Africa, in the heart of Nairobi, we are studying. And we are currently looking within that bigger story at how the message of, of Jesus broke into the continent of Europe. And we, we've entitled our series History Maker because this, this message, even though it looked inconsequential, even though it, it was chased out from city to city and town to town, became something that grew and shaped the culture, the history, the arts, the education, the politics, and the science of Europe for over 1,500 years. And this is why we think it's worthwhile to take five weeks as a church and look into this story. And this morning, I'm, I'm picking up from where we left off last week, and I've entitled my sermon, Becoming Obsessed with His Story. Now I know for most of us, the word obsessed has strong negative connotations, but may I suggest that we are all, to some degree, obsessed with something. And dare I say, for some of us, obsessed with someone. And if you kind of fall in the someone category, please come and talk to me afterwards. <laughs> now, I'm going to break the ice, but before I, I kind of break the ice, I just want to give you guys a few moments to talk to the person sitting beside you. I think when I talked about obsession, your mind kind of 
should be thinking, okay, what could I be obsessed with? And um, if you're sitting with your spouse, please choose carefully what it is you're obsessed with. So why don't you share with your neighbor? I'll give you a minute or two. What is it that you might be obsessed with or have recently been obsessed with? I can hear some textbook answers. Guys, there are no textbook answers. I'm hearing some people saying, I'm obsessed with Christ. Now, I'm going to share some of my, mo my, my most recent obsessions. And, you know, I, I, I know I don't look like the kind of guy you'd associate with Korean soapies. I know I look like the kind of Arnold Schwarzenegger, Rambo type of guy, but uh, I must confess that, uh, and, and for this one, please blame Yvonne. I, I don't know if Yvonne is here somewhere. Yeah, so she introduced me to this show. It was the American version of the series called The Good Doctor. And so I, I, I didn't really get into the American version. Sorry, I've got nothing against Americans, right? But I started to watch the Korean one. And my problem is when I start something, I need to finish it. And so I watched all 20 one-hour-long episodes with all their swoon-worthy or, or cringe-worthy moments where they have the monologues and look into each other's eyes. And I even learned a little bit of Korean. I would go, Handi Mirida. You're saying something along the lines of, you know, it wasn't me. But thankfully, the series came to an end and I picked up the pieces of my life again. And then this, this next obsession has been a lifelong labor of love with all the ups and downs of long-term committed relationship, which you can never get out of. And I'm not talking about my relationship with my wife. I'm talking about my relationship with the current world club football champions, <laughs> Chelsea FC. Now, I'm not sure what obsessions you may have. Some could be very unhealthy, such as supporting Manchester United or Liverpool. <laughs> Or maybe you could be obsessed with, with how you look. Fashion, you, you, you can't just pass that, that handbag. Or maybe you could be obsessed with coffee or dark chocolate. And I'm not going to mention any names. It could be following social media. You simply can't go to bed without checking WhatsApp statuses, TikTok videos, Instagrams. I recently learned that the cool way is to call it IG. Or perhaps you could be obsessed with your health, with hygiene, keeping things in order, keeping fit, working out. Or it could be your work, your business, or being in a romantic relationship. Or maybe as a good Nairobian, you could simply say, Bwana, Mimi Nataka Pesa. 
So I'm, I'm, I'm just looking for the money, hustler for life. And so I'm sure we all have our obsessions. And if we're really honest, right, if we really dig deep down to varying degrees, we're all obsessed with looking good, with being successful, with, with experiencing pleasure, and with being the center of the universe. So when we talk about this series and say, hey, we're talking about history makers, there's a very grave danger that we could take that in the context of our self-obsession. That yes, I'm, I'm, I'm going to be a, a history maker for God. I'm, I'm going to look good for Jesus. I'm going to be a success for God. We are the history makers. And when we look in this story, it's all about us. Yet as we, as we will see in today's text, actually, it's not all about us. We're not even the supporting cast. It's all about him and his story. Not only is it all about him and his story, but he's calling us to a radical obsession with that story and the inevitable adventures such an obsession will bring. And so as we jump into the text, would you just allow me to pray? Lord Jesus, we are struck as we break bread and take the juice that your body was literally tortured. You literally bled that this morning we were celebrating and remembering a historical event, not a fictitious, imaginary ritual that we conjured up to comfort ourselves. Thank you for such an incredible love that while we were yet sinners, you died for us. And Lord, we want to know the power of that love, the power to transform our lives, the power to renew our hearts, the power to give us fresh perspective. Lord, we want to be obsessed with your story. And so we invite the work of your spirit this morning for each person that's here and that's listening online. That our lives would be shaped by such a radical obsession. In your name we pray. Amen. Amen. I can hear tinkering in the background, but I'll, I'll just carry on. When Acts 17, we'll be reading from verse 10 to 15. The brothers immediately sent Paul and Silas away by night to Berea. And when they arrived, they went into the Jewish synagogue. Now these Jews were more noble than those in Thessalonica. 
They received the word with all eagerness, examining the scriptures daily to see if these things were so. Many of them therefore believed, with not a few Greek women of high standing as well as men. But when the Jews from Thessalonica learned that the word of God was proclaimed by Paul at Berea also, they came there too, agitating and stirring up the crowds. Then the brothers immediately sent Paul off on his way to the sea, but Silas and Timothy remained there. Those who conducted Paul brought him as far as Athens, and after receiving a command for, after receiving a command for Silas and Timothy to come to him as soon as possible, they departed. So last week we saw Paul in the leading, the, the capital city of this Roman province of Macedonia. And uh, while he was there, Paul followed his usual MO, his usual strategy, which was to look for the Jewish synagogue where they would meet and read, read the scriptures and gain encouragement. And we saw how for three Sabbaths he sat with them. And uh, the scripture says that he explained, he reasoned, he proved, and he persuaded them from the scriptures that this Jesus was indeed the Christ. And so Paul had this twofold strategy. First of all, he, he would look at the story of Israel as we have it in what we call the Old Testament. And from that, he would uh, try and show them that actually the person they were expecting, the, the expected Savior King of Israel called the Messiah or the Anointed One, actually he was meant to suffer, die, and be resurrected. That was the first part of his strategy. The second part was to tell them about Jesus. He would tell them about Jesus' life, his miracles, all the works that he did. Then he would tell them about how Jesus died on that cross. And then explain how Jesus was raised from the dead. And then he would show them that actually what you have been looking for and what has been foretold by the prophets and the scriptures is this Jesus. This Jesus is the Christ. We saw how many people came to believe, and this caused the, the, some of the unbelieving Jews to become jealous and bring all sorts of accusations against Paul. And these were very serious accusations because he was accused of preaching another king. This was punishable by death, even without a trial. That they were bringing a treasonous, seditious message. And then they made the person who was hosting Paul and Silas to post bond. And basically, while he was posting bond, he was guaranteeing that Paul and Silas would leave town and never come back. And because the situation was so dangerous, they left by night. And this is where we jump into this story. And so they, they traveled about 80 kilometers a, a few days and came to the city of Berea, which was also a significant city in the province of Macedonia. But it was kind of off the way a little bit. Maybe they were trying to throw off the guys who were following them. And Luke doesn't go into much detail about what Paul said or did in Berea because he's already shown us what Paul said and did in Thessalonica. And so we know Paul kind of followed the same strategy. 
Now, unlike the Thessalonians, Luke tells us that the Bereans were more noble. We see that in, in verse 11. Because firstly, they were willing to listen to what Paul had to say. In fact, they, they listened with eagerness. They were open-minded. But you see, being open-minded doesn't mean being naive or gullible or believing everything you hear. In fact, Luke says that they examined what Paul was saying. And the word used for examine there can be used for what the Supreme Court justices were doing with the evidence as they were looking at the presidential Supreme Court petition. It's not an uncritical or unthinking exercise. You see, the, the claims of Christ, the claims of Scripture, the claims of Christianity stand up to scrutiny. Unlike some of the affidavits we saw presented to the Supreme Court. It's bankable. As one commentator says, a characteristic of the true religion is that it suffers itself to be examined into and its claims to be decided upon. I've, I've heard someone saying, hey, Christianity brainwashes people. You, you, you're, you're told what to think and what to do. But this is not what we see Paul doing. Paul comes with evidence. He proves it. He explains it. He persuades them. He argues his case. And I want to say that we have nothing to hide. We have nothing to be embarrassed about. If you are skeptical, if you've got questions, this is why we hold courses like Alpha. Even for our young people, even for our children, our teenagers. Because we, we, we are not trying to force or indoctrinate. You see, teaching doctrine, yes, there are doctrines, there are truths that we believe and say, this is truth, this must be believed. It's different to indoctrination. And so we're very confident that whatever you examine about our scriptures, whatever you examine about the historical life of Jesus, his death and resurrection, that our case will stand up to scrutiny. Now this morning I'm talking about being obsessed with his story. And I, I just want to make two points. The first is that to be obsessed with his story, we need to be obsessed with scripture. You see, when, when we look at the Bereans in verse 11, it says that they received the word eagerly, then they studied the scriptures daily. Now, receiving the scriptures from Paul, if he did what he did in, in, in Thessalonica, would be something like a weekend thing. He comes on the Sabbath, he explains it, but the Bereans didn't think, hey, you know what? We are getting our scripture fixed on Saturday or Sunday. Uh, listen, 
man of God, woman of God, can you please study the scriptures, go up on the mountain and pray on our behalf and hear what God is saying and just come and give it to us. That's what we need. No, they said, yeah, we'll listen to you, but then we're going to gather during the week. They would gather because people didn't have access to the scriptures on their own. And only like 5 to 12% could read and write. So they had to gather to where the scrolls were and search them. And it wasn't weekly, but it was daily. They daily, individually looked at the scriptures. And friends, as, as a church, as one tribe, we want to be a people who are strong in the word. This is why we, when we preach, I don't, I don't come with my best thought of the week. I'm not coming here with, with a vision or a dream that I had. We start by opening the scriptures. This is why we're going verse by verse in the book of Acts. Because we want to be a people who are strong in the word. And it's not simply that we want to have knowledge of scripture that comes from sermons, quotable quotes, verse of the day on my WhatsApp status. You know, then, then we become what John Piper calls second-handers. You see, listen, it's okay to wear second-hand clothes, to, to shop at the Mitumba, what we used to call the bend-over boutique. It's okay to drive your second-hand Japanese car or German car. I'm not sure if they're second-hand Chinese cars. But it's not okay to get all your knowledge, your diet of Scripture second-hand. I remember traveling to Uganda last year. And man, as, I, as we were flying into the place where we're landing, it was called Mbarara, I, I should have, it should have clicked in my mind. We could see all these banana shambas. Each homestead had a banana shamba. Kind of similar to how people have kitchen gardens here. And as soon as we landed, the guys who came to welcome us gave us banana crisps. Okay. Banana crisps, I know we've got them here, but... And then it was dinner time. I, I, you know, it all feels like a blur to me, our days there, when I think of the menu. But I remember that we had fried bananas, we had roasted bananas, we had mashed bananas, and then when we needed to have a snack, we had fresh bananas. <laughs> These guys loved the bananas, but before, as a Zimbabwean, I'd throw stones... I thought, hey, that's what we do with maize. We eat it for, for breakfast, we eat it fresh, we, we fry it, we, we do all sorts of things. And friends, that's how we need to consume scripture. We, we consume it in sermons, we consume it in life group as we sit down and, and discuss it, and we consume it as we read the Bible from cover to cover and also go into deep study on our own because we are obsessed with Scripture. 
In the words of, of Moses, later quoted by Jesus, man shall not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of the Lord. So this means it's not enough for me to scroll the WhatsApp status and see what's the verse of the day. It's not enough for me to get that quotable quote from this Sunday sermon as the pick-me-up for my week. It's not enough for me just to say, oh, I will log into TBN and hear what T.D. Jakes has to say. But instead, I would love for us to get inspiration from this guy called Ezra, who's got a whole book in the Bible named after him. He was one of the exiles in the 5th century BC. And this is what scripture says of him. For Ezra, this is Ezra 7 verse 10. For Ezra had devoted himself to the study and observance of the law of the Lord and to teach its decrees and laws in Israel. Ezra made a conscious decision to say, I'm, I'm, I'm giving myself to this. I'm devoting myself to it. I'm, I'm going to be obsessed with the scriptures. And this morning, I, I want to invite you. I, I'd love to, to challenge you, to exhort you, to say, won't you devote yourself to the study of scripture? This, this food that gives life to man? When, when all else is failing, God through his scripture will uphold you. Would you devote yourself to listening eagerly? Would you devote yourself to, to gathering in groups and, and discussing scripture? Would you devote yourself to examining scripture daily for yourself? And I think, yeah, Cephas, the, the spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. And I tell you, there's no hard and fast rule or law or yoke that I'm placing upon your shoulders. This, this very week, I had intense work pressure, and I went two days without reading my Bible. But I knew I'm Okay, I'm going to pick it up and, 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 and get back to where I left it. And this is not just saying, okay, you know what? I love Romans 8. Oh, we are more than conquerors in Christ Jesus. That's what I'm going to be reading all day, every day, this month. Who can, who can be against us if, if Christ is for us? Behold, what manner of love the Father has given to us that we should be called the sons of God. And you're like, yes, I'm in this message. I'm going to be obsessed with those scriptures. No, it also means digging into Leviticus. And when you have to read, if, if you present a goat as your offering, bring it to the Lord, lay your hand on its head, slaughter it in front of the tabernacle. Aaron's sons will then splatter the goat's blood against all sides of the altar. The priest must present part of this 
offering as a special gift to the Lord. This includes all the fat around the internal organs, the two kidneys, and the fat around them near the loins and the long lobe of the liver. These must be removed with the kidneys, and the priest will burn them on the altar. And you're like, yes, I'm obsessed with the word. And hey, maybe you could use a couple of tools that would help you in your study of the Bible and, and reading it. I personally have a, a study Bible, and this is just for me to see the background, to see timelines, to see some explanations on things that I might miss because I'm separated by culture, geography, and time. You can invest in just a basic introduction of Old Testament and New Testament or books within those various places. You can get onto a, a Bible reading plan. I'll be honest, I've, I've never been on a Bible reading plan. I do try and read through my Bible and it happens every three years or so, but I'm, I'm good with my pace. I've got things that I love to dig into, and that works for me. But what I'm saying is that let's all get into being obsessed with the Scriptures. If you're looking for a, a, a nice primer, I'd suggest you get a book called How to Read Your Bible for All It's Worth by a guy called Gordon Fee and Douglas Stewart. And this gives great introduction on how to read your Bible and get a lot out of it, both the Old Testament and the New Testament. So friends, this is how we become obsessed with his story. First, we need to become obsessed with the scriptures. But secondly, and following closely onto that, we need to see the story of scripture as his story, not ours. You see, the Bible is primarily a story about him, not me. He is the center. He is the object, the hero of the story, not us. And so when you come to a passage like Leviticus chapter 3 that I was reading and is talking about this goat and taking the fat of its entrails and its kidneys, you're kind of like, you know what? I'm not getting much out of that. Um, God wasn't, you know, I'll just skip over that. Let's, let's go to, okay, I'll, I'll go to Psalm 23. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. Yes, God was speaking to me today. No, it's, it's not about you. It's about him. And so even the sacrifices, they point forward to Jesus. So when, when the Bereans got to examining, closely interrogating Paul's message and the scriptures, this is what they discovered. They discovered what Jesus had said before was absolutely true. In John 5 verse 39, this is what Jesus says. You search the scriptures because you think they give you eternal life, but the scriptures point to me. 
Here Jesus was talking to people who dedicated their lives to studying the scriptures but wouldn't come to faith in Jesus. And he says, you guys have this all twisted. You've got it all wrong. You've got it upside down because you are trying to take the signpost and make it the destination. Yet the scriptures are meant to point you to me. And this is what Jesus said when he was explaining to his disciples. It says that then Jesus took them through the writings of Moses and all the prophets. Basically, this is saying all of what we call the Old Testament and was the scriptures in their day. Explaining from all the scriptures the things concerning himself. And this shows us that in all the scriptures, there are things concerning Jesus. And why is this important? Well, because of our self-obsession, we approach Scripture, and what we want is for it to speak to me about me. And if, if I'm honest, I'm not kind of pointing the finger. If, if I'm honest, often when I read my Bible, what I'm looking for is a pick-me-up to start my day. You see, I've got so many pressures. I've got work deadlines. My marriage, my kids are like, okay, I'm, I'm, I'm going to do my reading and would you hit me with a shot that picks me up for my day? I'm not looking to connect with his story. And it is true that the Bible does have a lot to say to us, for us, and about us. But we need to be clear that we are not the center of the story. And actually, this self-obsession can kill the power and the work of Scripture in our hearts and in our lives. You see, Jesus told a story about this man who was a farmer and he went about throwing seeds. We call it the story of the sower. And he talks about this particular land or field that really scares me because this one landed in what seemed like good soil, but the problem was it had weeds growing with it. And so you think the soil is good, right? I'm... I'm listening to sermons, I'm, I'm in a life group, I'm, I'm reading the scriptures on my own. But there are weeds that grew with it. And he described these weeds as the cares of this life. The deceitfulness of wealth and the desire for pleasure. And what should have been good soil that gave good fruit was choked and didn't give any fruit at all. You see, our, our self-obsession that says, no, I want to be in comfort. I want to be protected from the cares of this world. Our, our self-obsession with success that says, yes, I, I want to be rich. That self-obsession that says, yes, I, I want to pursue pleasure can actually choke the power of his story in our story.
So we see that it's only when we see this story, the story of Scripture, as his story, the story of how God in Christ was coming to redeem a people for himself, how he was coming to renew and create a new creation that comes out of Christ and into a people and comes into the whole of creation, then we can begin to experience the power of that story in our story. It's when we can begin to make sense of the highs and the lows, the the joys and the tears. It's when we can begin to make sense of the complexities and the contradictions of life. Don't worry, I'm coming to the end. And as I end, I want to speak to any this morning. You've been skeptical. If you're really honest, you'd say, yeah, I'm, I'm skeptical of Christianity. I'm, I'm skeptical of scriptures. I'm skeptical of the Bible. Maybe you've seen people abused in the name of the Bible. Maybe you yourself have experienced that. I mean, we've got videos on YouTube of of people being made to eat grass and hair and being sprayed with chemicals in the name of Scripture and Christianity. Maybe you've seen that and thought, man, this is a farce. How can anyone believe in that? Maybe you've heard wild and wacky things taught in the name of Christianity. I remember early days when I had this Bible that had some notes in it from the Mormons. And even though I was just a young Christian, I could tell this is wild and wacky. This has got nothing to do with Scripture. Or maybe it's the Jehovah's Witnesses. Or maybe you've heard that you, you, you need to observe the Sabbath. You can't eat pork. And you're like, ah, man, this, this is not for today. But I want to ask you this morning, have you, like the Bereans, examined the scriptures for yourself? Have you taken the time to Explore the claims of Christ, Christianity, and Scripture for yourself. There was one guy who was a Muslim whose name was Nabil Qureshi. He thought that he had the Bible all figured out. You see, because what they're taught in Islam is that Scripture has been corrupted. And actually, what they have in the Quran is the unadulterated because the angel Gabriel came and spoke and verbatim to the prophet Muhammad over a period of 10 years. And so he, he, he thought, guys, we've got it all figured out. Your Bible's corrupted. Christianity is corrupted. And a friend of his challenged him to examine scripture for himself and to use the same method to examine the Quran. 
And so when Nabil began to examine scripture and the claims of Christ for himself, when he studied the scriptures, he discovered that actually he had been wrong all along. And if you want to know more of Nabil's story, you can read it in a book. It's called Seeking Allah, Finding Jesus. Nabil discovered that Jesus was indeed the way, the truth, and the life. And you see, Nabil is no longer with us. He died a few years ago from cancer. But what Nabil discovered in the scriptures changed his life for eternity. And friends, this morning as I'm talking about examining the scriptures, I'm not simply wanting you to change or become a different person or take on an ideology. In the words of Moses, when he said, today I offer to you death and life. Choose life. In the words of Jesus who said, enter through the narrow gate. There is no other way. There is no other ideology. There is nothing else that can give you a hope that is beyond death. There is nothing else that can satisfy all intellectual scrutiny and examination like the message of Christ. And all I ask you this morning, I'm not going to ask you to raise your hand, stand up, come to the front. I'm going to ask you to examine the scriptures for yourself. I want you to prepare to, to be prepared for that day so that you too may have your eternal destiny secure by faith. And I'll just end by reminding us what it means to become obsessed with his story. It means becoming obsessed with scripture, consuming it in sermons, discussions, daily study, and also realizing that the story of scripture is his story, not ours. Amen.